My sermon title today is Elders and the Fivefold Offices. So God has given us, the church, a variety of ministers, ministries, and offices to guide, serve, and protect us. These have some similar and overlapping features as well as distinctions. Although both men and women can serve in the five-fold ministry offices found in Ephesians 4, only men can serve in the office of the elder. In this teaching, I hope to give an orientation to the five-fold ministers in contradistinction to the elders. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we bless you. You are the one that has given good gifts to all of your children. We rejoice in you. We thank you for the peace that passes understanding, that peace that comes from your son, the Prince of Peace. Be blessed and magnified and glorified in every way today, in Yeshua's name, amen. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and in that letter, he begins to lay out what we call ascension offices or ministry offices in order to equip the church. Let's jump in and read about some of these. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it starts with this. Therefore I, the Apostle Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. To the community at Ephesus, that's all the house churches, all of the believers in Ephesus, they were the church in Ephesus. He says to the believers, you know, you're called to be the people of God, to represent God. Do it, verse 2, with all humility, humility and gentleness. That we, we are called to be a humble and a gentle people. Not pushy, not overbearing, you know, not arrogant, full of ourselves because God has shown us some things, right? But actually, rather, to be humble and gentle and to be patient, showing tolerance for one another in love. None of us have arrived. We all got our issues. We're not supposed to highlight our weaknesses. We're supposed to actually shore up and speak of our greatness in Messiah, of our potential in Him, to be tolerant towards one another, loving towards one another. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to fight for unity. It's so easy to be offended and to isolate or to distance yourself. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Unity is a fragile but precious gift. Fight for it. Strive for it. Protect it. Guard it. It's so valuable. Division, it's painful. It's bitter at times. You know what broken relationships are like. Paul's saying, guard that so it doesn't happen in the community. Why? Because there's one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one in him. We are brothers and sisters. We're going to spend eternity together. Our bonds are deeper and tighter than natural 
family bonds. This is something that's so unique in Messiah and, and to be treasured for sure. 4 through 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? When he died, he descended into the realm of death, which, which by way of a figure of speech, is below the earth, the realm of the dead, where the departed souls uh, uh, exist until the resurrection. So he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended, verse 10, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So Christ, who came from heaven, becomes one of us, and then he takes our sins on his own shoulders, suffers and dies, makes an atonement, and in his death, he descends into the realm below the earth called hell or the realm of the dead. And in the deepest pits of that realm, he goes and takes the keys of death away from the serpents. And he basically, in that death, becomes victorious over the realm of death and the Lord of the dead. Satan himself and all of his angels. And then he ascends, not only through the heavens, but into the highest of the heavens, above the heavens, where he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, in the ancient world, if you were a king and you overthrow a people, you know what you would do? You would take their king and his generals and his mighty men, strip them naked, and parade them in the street to demonstrate your victory over there, you would humiliate them. And then you would give from the spoils of the war to your people, and they would rejoice in you as their king. And that's what Jesus did. He went into the lower parts of the realm of the dead, and he was victorious over the evil one and his angels. And he paraded them around before the heavens in their defeats, took the authority from them. And now he is the one that rules over them. And just like every great king, he gives gifts to his people. Listen to this. These are the gifts that he gives. Verse 11, we call these the fivefold ascension gifts. They're, they're five, and they're called ascension gifts because they're given as a result of his ascension in becoming the king of kings and lord of lords. He gave some as apostles. That is going to be slide 19. Great. It's already up here. I was looking at the backslide. My bad. Okay. For those that don't know, the back TV is not working. Okay, so 411. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. These are the fivefold gifts. Notice, the gifts are people. They're persons. Those are the gifts that he gives to his body. People who are called and appointed to one of these ministry offices. Note well that the elder as an office is not listed here. That's the next slide, 21. 
Note well that the elder as an office is not listed in the ascension gifts. Why? Probably because the elder is not a ministry office per se, but rather a governing office, which brings accountability and oversight to these fivefold ministry offices. Now for sure, there is some overlap between the governing offices and ministry offices, but there's also distinctions. We'll get to those distinctions uh, in just a moment. But let's look at the purpose of the fivefold ministry offices. Ephesians 4.12 says, They are for equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. They are for the equipping of the saints. And who are the saints? Y'all. You're the saints. You're the ones that are called to do the work of service. And the work of service is both inward and outward. Think about this. Inward. That's where we talk about the group that's here that gathers every week, right? You were called of the Lord for the work of service. All that goes in to get everything in its place for classes, for the dance, for intercession, for our service up here, for what takes place afterwards, our coffee bar. That takes a lot of work to set up and break down and to facilitate. Who does that work? There's no way that, that the three full-time staff members can do all that. It gets done because you're doing it. As volunteers, you're doing the work of service to make this happen. And this is significant what happens here every week. It's changing our lives. So you're doing that work, serving one another in this place. And serving one another, by the way, is a way of life. This is what Jesus did when he came. He came to serve, not to be served. Yes, serving others is a blessing. It's a virtue. It's what we do. It's what we're called to be. Again, we're not called to be spectators, but rather participants. Participants. We receive grace weekly, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, fellowship, right? And we also give by serving weekly one another, week in, week out, from festival to festival, from new moon to new moon. Now, outwardly, we're also called to serve. We do spirit-led acts of kindness for those around us, beginning in our families and outward towards our neighbors and our communities that we live in. We're called to share the gospel with those around us, to pray for the sick, to pray for the demonized, to pray that they would be healed. We are to lead our acquaintances to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. We're called to bring them here, baptize them, teach them Torah as a way of life. This is the call of God in our life. This is what we're called to do. This is the work of service that we're all to be involved in. And in the end, this is how we build up the body and community of Messiah. So the fivefold offices are commissioned to provide training in these areas of our lives. The fivefold ministry offices are to equip the believer to do all these things. Now we do a lot of stuff when you think about it. From Shabbat Torah classes to sermons, Tuesday night Bible study, 
our children's class, our youth group where we're training the young ones about Jesus, about this way of life, about the great mandate to share the love of God. We're doing that through our life groups. I mean, just so much of what happens in this place week in and week out is designed to disciple us, to help us step up and become more like Jesus, and to reach out and extend the kingdom of God to everyone around us. The fivefold ministry offices kind of oversee all that, help, help that, you know, come into place. And that's what we do. We also support in our giving missions like Rabbi Alex Yulanga in Zambia, uh, mission works like the Denver Rescue Mission, which is probably the number one most productive and successful ministry to the homeless. Very important in, in our city, in our culture that we live in. So we give to different ministries as well out of what comes in in our, in our giving. Uh, together, we're building up the body of Messiah, doing the work of Messiah in this city. So the next question is, is how long will these offices that he's given, how long were these, are these gifts to, to function? Verse 13, it says, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Simply stated, it's not ending anytime soon. These offices are in place, and they'll continue to be in place. And God will continue to call people to serve in these five-fold offices until this is accomplished, which I say won't be accomplished till Jesus comes. So these five-fold offices are going to be with us until he returns. Now, in our culture, we just typically recognize one of those offices, really. We, we, we recognize the office of pastor. Not much is said about the evangelist. Not much is said about what? The prophet, right? Some of these other offices are just kind of like overlooked and neglected. But these are very important offices for advancing the kingdom of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. So let's talk about these gifts. I want to talk first about apostles and prophets. Capital A, small a for apostle, right? Capital P, big prophet, small p, little prophet. And what do I mean by that? Well, I want to say that there are only a limited number of apostles, capital A, and prophets, capital P, who had the anointing and authority to write the scriptures. And that's it. And there's no more of them. There's no more capital A apostles that are writing scripture or capital P prophets that are writing scripture. That level of anointing, that level of authority ended in the first century, in the apostolic period. Now, there are small A's, apostles, and small P, prophets. What do I mean by that? Well, the work of the apostle is basically the equivalent of a missionary. And we still have missionaries doing the work of the apostles, planting new churches around the world. That's an apostolic work, not with the same level of authority and anointing that the capital A apostles had, those 12 that Jesus had called, nor the writing prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Yeah, but we have small prophets, small p, right? Still speaking the word of the Lord, guarding the law of God as a way of life. Yeah, that's still in operation today and needed today. So with that clarification, let me give you some definitions of the fivefold offices. 
Apostles. Apostles extend the gospel. They are the sent ones. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another and from one generation to the next. They are always thinking about the future, bridging barriers, establishing the church in new contexts, developing leaders, networking translocally. Yes, if you focus solely on initiating new ideas and rapid expansion, you can leave people and organizations wounded. The shepherding and teaching functions are needed to ensure people are cared for rather than simply used. So those are the positive aspects of the apostle and where that apostleship can become abusive, right? They're always about the new plant, always about the new... They don't think too much about the mothership. She could be hurting and, and, and not really in a position to be expending more resources at a given point for a church plant, but they don't care. If, if they're not careful, they can get to the place where it could be painful by not caring for the mother church, just focusing on the new plant. But when in proper balance with the other fivefold ministries, very healthy, very needed, we're called to plant churches. The harvest is called, that's part of our vision, to plant churches. So I believe God's going to give us some apostolic people that just love planting and understand how to plant in the future. And, and when we get those kind of people with the right resources, we're going to plant some churches. We're excited about that. Currently, we don't have that, but I believe God's going to give that. He's a good gift giver. Prophets. Prophets know the will of God. Now, when, when, let me go back to uh, apostles real quick. When I think of apostolic works today, what comes to mind is, this, is the Southern Baptist Association. Is it SBA? I'm, is it Assembly or Association? I'm not sure. But the Southern Baptists, man, they are church planters. The Baptists, they know how to plant churches. So I always think of them as kind of an apostolic uh, um, uh, set of people within the body of Messiah. The Rebbe's Army in Judaism, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Rebbe's Army is the Chabad movement, fastest growing movement in Judaism. Yeah, they planted so many congregations just like wildfire. You know, he would, he would basically, the, the, the Rebbe uh, uh, Schneerson, he, Rabbi Schneerson, Basically, he's sending these young couples out with a prayer and a dollar. He'd pray over them, an apostolic prayer, a sending you know, mandate, and send them out to a place that didn't have a, a Jewish witness, and he'd give them a dollar too. You know? And they're like, well, why is he always giving them a dollar? And he was like, no, that, he was sowing into their ministry. He was saying, hey, this is a faith seed. I'm going to sow the dollar. I believe God to blow on it and give you just hundredfold for what you need to go start a new work. And he sent young couples out all across the world, really, ultimately around the world, to establish new communities. That was an apostolic work within Judaism. Okay, prophets. Prophets know the will of God. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They insist that the community, they insist that the community obey what God has commanded. They question the status quo. And without other types of leaders in place, they can become belligerent, belligerent activists or paradoxically disengaged from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly, right? Go live in a cave. Now, when I think of the prophets and the office of the prophet, I think the Messianic movement really kind of uh, exhibits the call to the prophets in the body of Messiah. It's the Messianic movement that's calling attention to, hey, we're supposed to be living in a particular way. We are saved by grace through faith in Messiah, 
But there's a way to live now that's in harmony with God's law, his ancient paths. And we need to come into that. So we see that work in the body of Messiah as well. Evangelists, well, they're the big recruiters, right? They're infectious uh, communicators of the gospel message. They recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage the wider mission growing the church. Now, evangelists on the downside can be so focused on reaching those outside the church that maturing and strengthening those inside are neglected. That's the downside if they get out of balance. Now, when I think of, you know, evangelists, one person comes to mind, Billy Graham, the consummate American evangelist of our era. Just amazing in every way, but he had a great gift of just, you know, helping the lost really connect with Jesus in a way that, you know, millions really came to faith under his ministry. Shepherds or pastors, they nurture and they protect. They're caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock, cultivating a loving and spiritual mature network of relationships, making and developing disciples. Shepherds can value stability to the detriment of the mission. They may also foster an unhealthy dependence between church and themselves. They can get too inward and neglect furthering the mission. Now, when I think of, and you might just want to throw a rock at me, you better not. I'll throw it back. But when I think of pastors, those that just really care about their flock, I think of Joel Olstein. He's an amazing pastor. Takes zero salary, just does it for free. He gets his money off writing books, and then he pastors for free, and he 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 raises millions and millions of dollars for the poor and the needy in his area every year, year in and year out. An amazing pastor who takes care of his his sheep uh, and just loves on them and nurtures them, and uh, I just love that pastor. Teachers they under, understand and explain. They're communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will, guiding others towards wisdom, helping their community remain faithful to Christ's words, and constructing a transferable doctrine. Without the input of other functions, though, teachers can fall into dogmatism or dry intellectualism and fail to see their own personal and missional aspects of the church's ministry. So when I think of the teachers, what comes to mind is N.T. Wright, the New Pauline Perspective scholars of our day, right? Dr. Michael Brown, the great Messianic Jewish apologist. Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. These are big, very successful teachers in the body of Messiah, really helping us to stay in alignment with foundational truths, with relevant truths, for uh, the body and the world uh, around us today. Now, again, these are the fivefold offices. Note, again, the elders as a ministry office are not listed here. In Acts chapter 14, I'm going to pick up the reading. It deals with the office of the elders. This is, Paul, or this is the story related to Paul. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having went over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. 
The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in these places where new churches were forming and being raised up, Paul appointed elders for them in every new church, every startup, every plant. Paul went and followed up by appointing elders in those churches. Let's read about the qualifications and job description of elders. And this again is a brief overview. Titus 1, 4 through 8. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order, underline that, set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. Elders bring order to new startup churches. That planting, that new, it's a mess. It's like having babies. Kind of messy, right? You need to follow up behind and give them a bath and get them all nice and cleaned up and give them back to mama. The apostles come into these works that are really messy, that are forming, right? And they come in to to set into order the things that need to be ordered so those communities can now grow. The elders are the ones that bring that order, right? And he says, these elders are appointed. It's an appointment where you put them into that office, where they're recognized through the apostles initially that they're the ones in charge. Now, verse 6 qualification of an elder. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, we'll get to verse 7 in just a moment, note that it says the husband of one wife. Not only here, but in other places where Paul talks about the qualifications of an elder. They must be the husband of one wife. What does that mean? It means that these men that govern, or this office that governs, is open to men only. This is a men's only office. Paul makes this clear, both here and in other places. The apostle makes this issue of men only serving as rooted in what was given to Moses and even Jesus and what he established. So this whole issue of hierarchy is seen from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation. There's hierarchy, even in the heavenlies. There's the hierarchy of the Godhead. There's hierarchy in the angelic realm. There's hierarchy in the body. And this particular office, being the highest of all the offices, is open to men only because it's an office that governs. That's verse 7. For the overseer, the elders called an overseer. He's the one that governs. He has the authority to oversee everything, the fivefold ministries and all the ministries that are underneath them. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. 
He's there to take care, set into order, and to govern the fivefold offices and the works of, of ministry done by the saints. It gives some other things. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to jump forward um, into my summary and then um, go from there. So even though there's some overlap between the fivefold ministry offices and the office of the elders, they also have some distinctions. The fivefold offices, they minister and equip others to minister. They are ministries that minister to the body. They are qualified people given by Jesus, both men and women. In the harvest, the senior pastor is also an elder. That's how we set it up. So the senior pastor is also an elder. We, we and in doing that, we open it up only to men because you have to function as an elder in our particular context. The executive pastor is by default the interim senior pastor if something happens to me unexpectedly. Because of that, that particular position, executive pastor, is open to men only. Elders govern with authority over the fivefold ministers and the members of the community. Again, they are qualified men. They teach with authority. In fact, their teaching with authority is binding on the lives of everyone in our community. They get actually bind. They get actually make decrees at times that governs all of us. We've done that in the past. I, I don't have time to share that. Uh, but the, the elders get to govern our lives. They do that through the bylaws. They do that through our values. They do that through our halaha that's related to different things in, in our lives, the festivals, all, just all kinds of different areas. They bring discipline and order. They hold fivefold ministers accountable for their ministries. We have disciplined pastors before we have disciplined elders gone rogue before that's what elders do from from the newest member all the way up to the highest office they bring discipline they bring order they have the authority to do so therefore it's open to men only they provide protection for the community elders govern so that the fivefold offices can minister and equip the community in order and in a way that's productive. So what's the outcome? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. The outcome of the fivefold ministry offices operating underneath and overseen by elders says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here or there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love.
In conclusion, how are we accomplishing this? Well, currently we have five elders. I, I mean, we're, we're a little bit top heavy in elders as a community. Um, you know, a community our size coming through COVID, we probably only needed maybe two or three. Uh, but we have five because before that we were a larger community. Uh, so we have five elders currently. We have two ordained pastors. We have one licensed pastor. And we have two licensed prophets. The difference in our community, the difference between ordination and license is uh, whether you're, you're doing that full-time or part-time, okay? So the word ordained means to fill up. And so when we have the opportunity to give someone enough work to keep them busy for 50 hours a week, uh, then that usually comes, if it's a ministry office, with an ordination because they're actually filled up and paid a salary to do that 50 hours a week. And uh, those that are actually serving as one of the fivefold offices, but doing that as a volunteer and only doing that, you know, maybe 10 hours a week, they would have a license. So that's kind of how that works in the harvest. So again, two ordained pastors, one licensed pastor, two licensed prophets, and currently five elders. This next week, we will ordain a new pastor. And most of you already know, but for those who do not, it is Shana Gardner. And she, and she brings a unique gifting and perspective that balances and enhances our current staff ministry team. She is an enormous blessing, an immense gift from God to our local church. She will continue to help us raise up and equip the harvest to do what God has called us to do. So get ready for next week's service where I and the elders will ordain her as a pastor in the harvest. Next week, Shana, congratulations on this upcoming well-deserved, well-earned ordination. You have been faithful and diligent in your work and your, and your well-deserved promotion is coming. Mazel tov. Shabbat shalom.